What a beautiful picture of spirit-filled community. On the one hand, Sunday morning worship is so critical, but the fact is we come in here and even the best among us put on a face. Other people think all is well. And unless we go beyond Sunday morning, Sunday morning's critical, but unless we go beyond Sunday morning, we'll never know each other's stories like that. And we'll never know that when we feel like we're the only ones struggling, that the fact is everybody is. So we're going to look this morning up close and personal at spirit-filled community. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We have one more uh, sermon. This morning's sermon uh, will be our last sermon on really the means of grace. And we're looking, of course, the past couple weeks at community. And then uh, after Labor Day, we'll start a brand new sermon series on 1 Samuel. So if you want to start reading 1 Samuel, go ahead and do that. But this morning, one last look at spirit-filled community. It's spirit-filled community because Acts 2 is when Pentecost took place, when the Holy Spirit fell on the church after the ascension of Christ. Now, spirit-filled community is portrayed different ways in Scripture in different places. Uh, It's often pictured as a body. And spirit-filled community, just like our body has different parts, is portrayed as each one of us is a critical part of the body. You've got noses, you've got toes, you've got elbows, you've got kneecaps. Uh, All of us need to be engaged in the community so that the body can be fully functioning. Now, in other places, spirit-filled community is portrayed as a temple, like the temple in Jerusalem, but we are called a a living temple, a spiritual building. And each one of us are portrayed as living stones. And every one of those stones is essential to the building up of the spiritual house. Well, this morning, as we look at spiritual community, I'm going to add one more kind of picture. It's not biblical But if you think about the body and you think about uh, a spiritual temple, it really does fit. And I'm going to submit to you that we need to see ourselves in spirit-filled community as a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, My mother-in-law, our son Michael, who's a missionary in Japan, they love jigsaw puzzles. And some of them are very complex. So let's just imagine in our own minds this morning a very complex jigsaw puzzle. Let's say it has 2,500 pieces. That'd be pretty complex. And let's say that each one of the puzzle pieces is actually a face. Every individual piece of the jigsaw puzzle is a face. And there are diversity of faces, different complexions, ethnicities. And the artist who put together the jigsaw puzzle also was able to shade the backgrounds so that all of the faces in the jigsaw puzzle, all 2,500 pieces, when they're completely put together, the whole point of the puzzle is for all the faces to reveal a face. And let's say that we knew what Jesus looked like. And all the faces in the jigsaw puzzle, when they're connected, reveal the face of Jesus. There are 2,500 members 
at Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church. Every single face and life, a vital piece of the puzzle. And when we're all connected, and of course, every puzzle piece has something called a tab, which is that little piece that sticks out, and every puzzle piece is sawed up so that it has a hole. And the tabs and the holes, they all connect. And when all the faces are connected, they reveal the face of Jesus. Now, one of the most frustrating elements of a 2,500-piece jigsaw puzzle is it's so easy to lose pieces. 2,500 pieces. It's so easy for pieces to go missing. And when pieces go missing in a 2,500-piece puzzle... Well, then there's holes in the face of Jesus. There's, there's also lives just disconnected and missing. And, and the thing about puzzles, if you have a whole section of pieces missing, well, then all of the tabs and the holes that would connect other pieces to the puzzle are now disconnected because the pieces that they're supposed to connect to are missing. So now, even though they're present... They're disconnected. Do you see the picture? When it comes to Acts chapter 2 and spirit-filled community, we see the spirit bringing together every single piece of the puzzle in different elements of community so that all the pieces connected reveal Christ to each other and together, the church reveals Jesus to the watching world. And we need to be both encouraged and challenged by the picture of spirit-filled community in Acts chapter 2. So let's all stand out of reverence for God. <clears throat> Follow along as I read Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. This is God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous, or perhaps better, sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, an authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us and he wants us to be connected in community so that we would grow in grace and reflect Jesus to a watching world. Let's pray together. Father, would you open our eyes? Would you soften our hearts? Would you move among us that we might become the community you mean us to be? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. 
So every single one of us is a puzzle piece. We've got our holes. We've got our weaknesses. We've got our strengths. We receive, we give. But every single one of us is vital to reflecting the face of Jesus. Let's look at how we find our place, how we fit together in the puzzle that is the church. First of all, find your place in our learning community. Look at verse 42. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. We, we can be a community that learns, and we're supposed to learn in community. Now, what's the apostles' teaching? Well, the apostles' teaching is the teaching on the grace of God offered to us in Jesus Christ. Paul makes this very clear in Acts 20, verse 24. He says, I want to do one thing. I want to finish the course that Jesus has set me on, and that is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what the church exists to do, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. We do that when we're together on Sunday mornings, but we also do that in smaller learning communities. Now, at Oak Mountain, we talk about surprising grace. What is that? Well, there's two elements to grace. The first element of grace is the message of God's unconditional love toward undeserving sinners. And we hear that from this stage, but we also need to proclaim that to each other continually. And then the second element of the message of grace is not only the message of God's unconditional love toward undeserving sinners, but it's the message of God's supernatural transforming power toward broken sinners. We are all broken, and that's part of our story, but that brokenness is not all of our story. And we're to call each other to the hope of the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. We hear that on Sunday mornings, but we need to be, as Luther said, we must take this gospel of grace and beat it into each other's heads continually. Now, why did Luther say that? Because our hearts are like Teflon when it comes to grace, like a fried egg out of a pan that is coated with nonstick. The gospel doesn't stick to our hearts. It's always slipping off. And so we need to continually be reminded. Look at verse 46. And day by day attending the temple together. They were exposing themselves to the grace of God through each other in small learning communities every day. Look, let's be honest. Some of us struggle to even make it to church on Sundays once a month. And yet, getting together in smaller communities is even less frequent. So let's say you come to church once in a while. How healthy would you be physically if you gorged one meal a week and didn't eat anything else the rest of the seven days? You wouldn't be very healthy. And yet that's how some of us live the Christian life. We come on a Sunday morning. Let's say you come every week. You come for one hour a week, let's say, and you get gorged, you get stuffed. Hopefully you get a good meal until the next Sunday. How healthy would you be physically if that's how you ate? Why would we think we'd be any different spiritually? We need a lot more than to gorge 
once a week. We need to preach the gospel to each other every single day. We need to speak the truths of our acceptance and delight before the Father because of the work of Christ. We need to call each other to the hope of transformation that we have in Christ. Each one of us must have regular eureka moments when, because of being involved in each other's lives, we say, I see, epiphanies. You know, during the gold rush in California, eureka was a common shout. When, when people discovered gold, they'd say, eureka, I found it. Matter of fact, it happened so commonly that even to this day, the state motto of California is eureka. It's from the Greek word eureka that means I have found it. Some of us, the light bulbs are going to go on on Sunday mornings. For most of us, the light bulbs and the eureka moments are actually going to occur in small learning communities where we hear each other's stories and tailor the gospel to the context of what's happening in our lives. Are you a part regularly of Sunday worship and are you a part regularly of a daily or weekly learning community? Find your place in our learning community. Secondly, find your place in our worshiping community. Look at verse 42, the breaking of bread. Now, it's easy to just sort of go over that and think, well, they're talking about fellowship. Well, actually, if you look at the Greek, it's very specific. Let me, let me see if I can show you the difference between verses 42 and 46. The Greek in verse 42 says, the breaking of the bread. Okay, that's one way of talking about bread, I guess, fellowship. Or is it? Verse 46 has the breaking in their homes bread. Verse 42, the breaking of the bread. Verse 46 the breaking in their home's bread. Verse 46 is talking about fellowship, hospitality, sharing some food together. Verse 42 is talking about the breaking of the bread. It's talking about the sacrament of communion. It's talking about a unique breaking of bread that is only done in one place, not done in homes. Done when the church is gathered corporately. We are to be a part of a worshiping community, regular corporate worship. Look at verse 43. All came upon every soul. There's a unique presence of the Spirit of God when God's people are gathered corporately. Again, Psalm, uh, in the Psalms it says, God says, I will, I will inhabit, I will dwell among the praises. I will be enthroned among the praises of my people. When God's people gather corporately, God's Spirit falls. The same thing is repeated in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 5. When we gather corporately on the Lord's Day, Paul says the Spirit of Jesus and His power is uniquely present. All comes upon us when we meet together. But that awe 
also reminds us that the world doesn't center around us. You know, our culture tries to tell us that God is really small and we as human beings are really big. So just get her done. Worship says the exact opposite. Worship says every single one of us is really, really small and powerless. And in a very healthy sense, pretty insignificant. At the same time, worship exalts God as huge. And ironically, as we worship God as huge, and we worship God for being our Father, we take on a new significance that goes way beyond the significance the culture tells us we have by telling us that we're so big and God is so small. Worship is transformational. And every one of us needs to find our place in a worshiping community here on Sundays and part of small groups as well. Look at verse 47. The spiritual church spent their time praising God. Now what's interesting is if you look at the spirit-filled life in Ephesians 5, the spirit-filled life involves Christians addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So an evidence of whether you or I are filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit is whether we're connected to a worshiping community. You can feel in your own emotions, ah, God and I are good, we're real close. Okay. Let's look at things biblically. Are you part of a worshiping community on a regular basis? Because if you're not, no matter what you feel, you're not filled with the Spirit. Because people who are filled with the Spirit address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Are we a Spirit-filled community? Find your place in our learning community. Find your place in our worshiping community. Thirdly, find your place in our praying community. Look at verse 42. Again, the Greek is so specific. It's not just prayers. It's not just they were devoted to praying. The article's there. They were devoted to the prayers. Just like the breaking of the bread, it's talking about a formal, recognized, corporate time of prayer. Now, if you don't know anything about the first century Jews, they practiced two hours of prayer every day. The first hour of prayer we see in Acts 2, verse 15, 9 a.m., when the Spirit of God fell at Pentecost. It was the first hour of prayer. The first hour of prayer when Jews gathered corporately to pray was 9 a.m. When you get to chapter 3 of the book of Acts, our next chapter, Peter and John were walking up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the second hour of prayer. The second hour of prayer was 3 p.m. And God healed a lame man. Isn't it interesting that at the first hour of prayer, Pentecost came. At the second hour of prayer, God healed a lame man. When God's people get together to pray corporately, God moves in unique ways. And then look at verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together. Day by day, they practice the hours of prayer. Day by day, they worship together. Day by day, they were involved in learning communities together. 
And it makes sense that a spirit-filled community would be a praying community because the gospel's assumption is that grace is precious and beautiful because we are so broken and needy. So the more we're aware of our brokenness, the more we'll be desperate. The more we'll be desperate, the more we'll realize we have no other recourse than to pray. And when we're together in communities and we're sharing about our brokenness, the first thing we'll do is not try to fix each other. The first thing a gospel community do will stop and say, you know what, this is beyond us. Let's pray together right now. Let's just stop and pray because only God can do this. Spirit-filled community prays together. God tells us in Philippians 4, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, make your, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Whenever we're anxious, whenever we're in community and we're being real and authentic and we share what we're afraid of and what we're anxious about and what we're scared of, the community says, let's run to Christ together because he's the only one that's going to help. And then spiritual warfare. We're told in Ephesians 6 when Paul gives all the weapons of spiritual warfare, which by the way are all offensive, there's nothing protecting the back of a Christian. We don't retreat. We're attacking the gates of hell. We're not afraid of the gates of hell. All the armor is frontal. There's nothing protecting our back. God's saying, you're not running away. You're running toward. And one of the last things Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit. Satan is defeated. Satan falls like lightning from the sky in defeat when God's people pray. Remember that hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus? What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. If for no other reason you and I need to be in spirit-filled community because we always try to fix things. And God says our first move needs to be to the throne of grace. Find your place in a learning community, in a worshiping community, in a praying community. Fourthly, find your place, we already talked about this, so I'll be quick, in a generous community. But look at verses 44 and 45. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Why? Because Jesus constantly taught the disciples to avoid a scarcity mentality and to always pursue the reality of an abundance mentality. By saying abundance, I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. That's for the birds. What I'm saying is Jesus talked about the birds. And he said, notice, they're not worried about what they're going to eat. They're not worried about the next worm. And the lilies aren't worried about the next petal. No, Jesus said, you have a father, church, who loves you. You have a father who will provide for you. 
And because of that, you can be free. You can open your hand. You don't need to clutch. You don't need to claw. You don't need to grip. You don't need to grasp. You can open your hand and be generous. And the early church, verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to any as any had need. You know the beautiful uh, example of Barnabas? By the way, uh, I was talking to somebody this week, I don't even remember who, but he said, I've never heard anything about Barnabas because I was talking about Barnabas because I was working on this message. Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, he was, he was so moved by Christ's teaching on an abundance mentality because he's an adopted son who has a father who looks out for him that he brought the proceeds of some land that he sold and he gave it away. And it created a culture of generosity where people practice not being concerned about a scarcity mentality but practicing an abundance mentality. Not just in material goods, but in our time, in our energy, in our skills. We are to practice generosity in community. I mean, the only reason Barnabas knew to sell a piece of land to bring the proceeds is because he had proximity to other people's lives in community. And in the context of community, he learned about people's needs. Because people were authentic and honest and real. And when we live in proximity with other people, we begin to know their needs. And when we know their needs, we're moved to generosity. Are you finding your place in a generous community? Fifthly, find your place in our welcoming community. Look at verse 46. Day by day, breaking bread in their homes. See, now we're not talking about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Now we're talking about the kind of bread you break in your homes. We're talking about hospitality. We're talking about inviting people into our homes. And by the way, don't think that they were spotless, cleaned up, wonderfully decorated homes. Okay? They were dirty. They were messy, just like our homes. I'm amazed by how many people say, well, we don't invite people in because we'd have to, you know, hire someone to come in and clean our house. Where does this say that? Invite them into your mess. That's what we're going to do anyway once they get to know us. Not the mess of our house, but the mess of our hearts. We need to practice hospitality. We need to be a welcoming community. You know, if people leave our church because they don't like my preaching, I'm actually fine with that. I may not be a good preacher, but I at least know that I'm trying to teach you God's word. So if people leave because they don't like my preaching, fine. See ya. People may leave because they don't like our worship style. Fine. I know our worship style is in line with the Psalms of God, so fine. But you know what hurts? You know what really hurts? When people say they left because they didn't feel welcomed at Oak Mountain. Now that hurts. When people say they left because they visited four times and no one said hello to them, that hurts. When people said we tried to get plugged in at Oak Mountain, but it seemed like everybody was already plugged into themselves. And we didn't feel like there was really any connecting points for us. That hurts. You know, sometimes we get on the case of our youths, our students, because... Is there any time or season of life where people are more clicky than when they're youth? 
I mean, right, they're, they're insecure, and they find people they feel comfortable with, and they're not going to go to anybody else. And yet, how often as adults are we just like that? Look at the community you are engaged in, if you're engaged in community. How flexible is that community? How welcoming is the community you're involved in? Or is it defined and closed and nobody else is getting in? The Spirit-filled church in Acts 2 wasn't like that. Look at verse 47. It says they had favor with all the people. That, the word favor is a different word for grace, and it simply means there was an attractiveness and a winsomeness and a magnetism about the communities of Christians, whereas people, when they saw it and experienced it, had a very favorable reaction. Is that the reaction and the welcoming inclusion that we are showing to others. You know, a, a good example of this again is Barnabas. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, another Barnabas story. So Paul comes to Christ after murdering Christians. You do realize that. Paul was a murderer. And he arrested probably parents and children of people in the community in Jerusalem. So Paul's converted and Acts 9 tells us that nobody wanted to welcome him. They were all afraid of him. Ah, this ain't real. This guy's the guy. Barnabas puts his arm around Paul. He says, come with me. He takes him to the community at Jerusalem and says, hey, this guy's conversion's real. And oh, by the way, which one of us doesn't have a story that involves elements that we're ashamed of? And how we wronged each other. And didn't Jesus tell us that we're to welcome one another as we would welcome Jesus? So how about we welcome this man? And they did. Now, what's crazy is a few chapters later, Mark, the writer of the gospel, was with Barnabas and Paul on a mission trip, and Mark, like the little piggy, goes, wee, 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 all the way home. He freaks out. He gets scared about something. Maybe he's get homesick or something. So then, after that, he repents, comes to Paul, says, hey, I blew it. I want to come with you again. Paul, the one who was welcomed by Barnabas into Jerusalem, says, no. No way. I, I believe Paul was in sin, personally. I believe Paul blew it right there. You ever wonder if Paul's a sinner like the rest of us? Trust me, he was. Barnabas, however, was consistent. Hey, John Mark, come with me. God will deal with Paul. He'll come around. But you come with me. So Paul and Barnabas had a split. It was heated. It wasn't just, hey, tell you what, why don't you just do, maybe God's multiplying ministry here. Why don't you take Mark and I'll go over here? No, no. <laughs> it was a split. Now, at the end of his life, Paul came to his senses and said to Timothy, bring Mark. I need him. Are we going to be a welcoming community?
Are we going to be content with all of our connectors, our holes and our tabs? Oh, I'm full. I'm out. No more. Surprising community. Welcome and include others. And then lastly, find your place in our missional community. Look at verse 47. The Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. You know, we're talking about spirit-filled community. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, Jesus told us why he's given. Right now I'm asking you, pop quiz, why was the Holy Spirit given? You don't need to say it out loud. Why was the Holy Spirit given? Jesus tells us in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit was given to empower us to live the Christian life so that our lives would testify about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Life groups is one example of, of community. We have discipleship groups. We have service groups. We have all kinds of groups. But life groups are one. Do you know that life group was actually an acronym at one time? We used life groups as the title because 30 years ago when we started the church, life group meant L-I-F-E, learning, intercession, fellowship, and evangelism. You know what we are now? We have a bunch of lift groups. We have a bunch of lift groups. We're LIF. We're supposed to be life groups. Community is to be missional. We are to compel each other and catapult each other into service and mission. Remember we talk here at Oak Mountain that, that we are the USS Oak Mountain, that we're an aircraft carrier, that we're all flying missions of love and grace and service trying to bring beauty, goodness, and truth to a hurting world. We get shot at. We get beat up. We barely are able to fly into the aircraft carrier, just like Maverick and Top Gun and that first one. If you haven't seen it, you need to. Second one's better. <laughs> but then we get that catapult. We get refreshed, refueled, retooled, and then we're catapulted off that puppy to then live lives of missional service. We need each other, to catapult each other out into mission. Folks, each one of us is a critical piece to the puzzle. You are a face in the jigsaw puzzle, and you've got holes and you've got tabs, and other people have holes and other people have tabs, and the Holy Spirit sovereignly, do you believe this? The Holy Spirit sovereignly brought you to Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church, and he brought you here to connect. Because your connections with other people, they're not going to be connected without your connection. And then it is all of us being connected that reveal the face of Jesus. We need you. And guess what? You need us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we would be a community that is spirit-filled like that first century church, and we would see you add to our numbers, not because we're in the numbers, but those who are being saved. So Holy Spirit, do a deep work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, by the way, we kick things off tonight. If you're not in a life group, join me.
uh, we'll be upstairs, um, and uh, it's called the Newcomer Group, but even if you've been here for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, uh, if you're not a part of a life group, you obviously would be a newcomer. So go ahead and join us. Um, call the office. There's so many ways we can get you to plug into each one of those layers of community. Let's all stand and hear the benediction. Again, the, the baptism is supernatural. The benediction is supernatural. This is why worship is surprising worship. Receive it. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Abba Father and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Amen.